Um, my name is Matthew. I serve as the pastor here at Christ City. Thank you guys for, for coming out. Um, anybody, uh, New Year's resolutions folks, anybody? Some folks are like, ah, I'm not doing those. Anybody cynical about uh, New Year's resolutions? Like, I tried that once, didn't work out. Um, I, uh, I actually, I really love, uh, I'm a sucker for like fresh starts, new beginnings. I, I remember uh, before sort of my calendar was, was electronic, I would just love getting like a brand new like calendar. Right, like you'd open that bad boy up, you're just like, ah, what story is this thing going to tell today, you know, like this year? Like I just love sort of new starts, new beginnings, fresh, you know, Christmas time, I got some new clothes, wearing some new shoes. I just love fresh sort of new starts. I'm just a sucker uh, for them, to be honest with you. Um, Lisa, I, the Christmas gift that Lisa and I gave uh, to one another, really I gave it, I, I gave it to Lisa, but it was really for both of us. Um, I uh, gave her... Uh, she opened it up and she was like, what is this? I gave her a tennis racket and I got one for myself with some tennis balls because I feel like, ah, it's a new year. I've always wanted to learn how to play tennis. I have no idea how to play. I feel like I'm just going to launch him over the fence uh, the first time that we're out. But it's like a new hobby. Like I get to do sort of this new first thing. I just, I'm a sucker for fresh starts and new beginnings. Some of you guys this year, you're actually like 2018. You already know this ahead of time. Some of you are going to start new careers this year. Right? Like, I'm, I'm looking around. I know some of you. Uh, you know, you get to kind of start a new job. Some of you are going to start a new vocation. Some of you are actually newlyweds. Like, just this is your first Christmas. Some of you are just days away from getting married. I'm performing your wedding next week. Uh, congratulations. Won't point you out to embarrass you. But um, some of you guys are actually, there's new travels this year ahead. I know some of you are traveling to different countries and to different places, new places that you have yet to go. And so, like, as you look forward to 2018, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's just a newness about it. There's a freshness about it. Because I, I don't think I'm the only one, by the way, that is a sucker for, for fresh starts. So over the holidays, I've been, um, I've been binge-watching a little bit. Uh, I watched a, a show called uh, Broad Church. It's a murder mystery. Anybody? No? Nobody knows that one? Yeah, I watch the ones that no one else watches. I love, like... I love new starts, but I also really enjoy uh, like a like a like a mystery, like a crime mystery. Uh, and one of the things, so I was watching season two, and one of the things about season two, there's a there's a sort of a criminal in there, and there's one point in the story where I just really began to identify with her. She was just sort of stuck in this pattern of just really sort of dysfunction, and she just you know it's kind of criminal behavior, and you're like, oh, you shouldn't be. There's other patterns you could be stuck in, like bad eating or something. You didn't have to be stuck in this criminal pattern, but she was just stuck. She's like, I just want like a, a, a star. I just want a fresh start. I don't want to be stuck in this pattern. I don't want to be stuck in this place. And I'm like, yes, I, I get that. Um, over the break, uh, my son has to, read a, has to read a book and he picked um, an Agatha Christie book, um, uh, Murder, Orient Express. I can't they just made a movie about it. He didn't know that. He's like, I don't know. I'll pick this one. Uh, and so it's also a, a mystery. I know some of you guys are like holiday cheer, Christmas time. I've been stuck in like murder mysteries. <laughs> Gives you a little insight into my own sort of private uh, world. But uh, it's been it's been great. The, the uh, and the 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 victim in this uh, mystery, Agatha Christie. You guys, anybody read? She's like the like top selling author of all time. Like first it's the Bible, then Shakespeare, and then Agatha Christie. Like. She's an amazing. So we're reading this deal, and the and the victim in the story, he like is a terrible person, but then he like has this opportunity to just start again. He creates a new identity for himself. He tries to run away from his gangster past and everything, but it but it catches up to him. And I'm like, no, I get that. 
I mean, because there's some days where I'm like, I, I would be fine to like run away to Paris and take on a new name. Don't call me Matthew Watson. I'm now Pierre Michel. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like a world traveler. Like there's just something in me. And I, I suspect in so many of us that we just really appreciate and long for new starts. And, and as arbitrary as it may be, January 1, it actually affords us this chance to start anew. Um, there's, there's beauty in a new year. Um, it represents, you know, just sort of freshness and um, a chance to, to start again. I think that, um, you know, this week in between Christmas and New Year's, it's often quite a, quite a restful one. It gives us this chance to sort of reflect back on the previous year and then give consideration to what's ahead. And I think that sort of the slowness of the pace in between uh, these two holidays, it, it's really quite a gift for many of us. Um, tonight, we're going to cross from one year to the next, and the, I, I did a bit of research around this. Like, when did we decide this? Like, when did we decide January 1? And it's been around for quite some time, although it's had some different iterations. Julius Caesar, 45 BC, he's actually the one that sort of gave us the calendar that we use now. And to some degree, it's a bit arbitrary to say January 1, we're going to turn the page. It's no longer the old year now. It's a new year, but still there's a bit of providence in it. We'll cross from one chapter to the next, or even from one story to the next. And I know for uh, many of us, there's parts of the previous story, of the previous year, that have been quite remarkable, and we want to carry those aspects of that story into the new story that is 2018. And there's others of us that were like, good riddance, can't wait to sort of rip that last page out of the calendar and start a a new one, because 2017 has been a bit rough. I feel like I've sort of stumbled uh, into the end of this year, and I am ready to bust open a new calendar. So the question, I think, for, for me and, and perhaps for us is, how do we go from one chapter to the next, from uh, what has been familiar to the unfamiliar, and how do we do that well? The passage uh, that we read is the story of Jesus and the disciples, and they're crossing from one place to another. They're uh, crossing um, from the known to the unknown. If you can... Um, Just open with me again. Matthew 8. Then he, Jesus, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves And it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus is taking, he's taking the disciples from uh, one side of the Sea of Galilee to another. He is taking them from a place that they knew to actually to a place uh, that they didn't. Let me explain. Um, the Sea of Galilee, I actually had the chance to go to the Sea of Galilee earlier this year with a team from uh, Christ City and from the District Church and from TLOS and from, um, from uh, NCC and had a chance to actually go to the Sea of Galilee. We went to several different spots in uh, the Holy Land, but the Sea of Galilee was far and away my favorite for reasons that I'll explain in just a bit. But it's actually quite a beautiful, it's a massive lake, a massive sea, and it's really quite beautiful and quite serene there. Um, I remember sort of standing on the banks, banks and, and, and looking over at it. The Sea of Galilee is, is to the northwest from Jerusalem, uh, about 70 miles. And the Sea of Galilee in, in, uh, in the New Testament is actually a, 
a borderland. It, um, it, it, it uh, represents sort of all the, the, the Jewish um, culture and region, uh, which was uh, to the west of the Sea of Galilee, and then it bordered the uh, Samaritan and the Gentile lands to the east of the sea. And, and the sea itself, is, it, 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 just, it represents a border and a boundary between these two places. The sea had separated on one side for the disciples things that were, that were comfortable, things that they knew, a culture that they embraced, a place where they were very oriented. And on the other side of the sea, it was all of the things that they didn't know, things that they feared, things that they had grown up uh, learning that they should reject or rebuke. And that was on the other side of it. And the reason that Jesus, I think, that, that he's taking them from one side, from the familiar, and he's taking them over to the unfamiliar is a couple of reasons. One, he wanted to do something in them. He wanted to, to grow them and to shape them in a certain way that journeys can often do. He wanted to do something in them. But the other thing is he wanted to do something through them. It wasn't just, hey, let's go see the sights. But there was actually quite purpose in it. Um, and for us, I think, as we look from one year to the next, I think this actually becomes quite an apt metaphor for us as we stand on the edge of one year and into the next. The other thing about seas that you should know um, in the Bible, seas always represent, or almost always represent a place of chaos. They almost always represent a place of uncertainty and a place of disorientation. Even early when our, in the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 2. Uh, uh, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the, s- the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It represented chaos, and then from the waters, God was going to bring order. In Exodus, the sea, the Red Sea, the seas, that which was chaos and terrifying, it actually had to be parted by the Lord so that the children of God could pass through. Jonah, you guys know the story of Jonah. He's in the boat. There's a tempest and a storm all around, and the and, and and the sailors are like, what are we going to do? They take Jonah, they toss him into the sea, and Jonah is gobbled up by the sea beast. He's gobbled up by the big fish. And to then to say, listen, this, is, uh, this isn't a place of, of, of sort of firm rooting. This is a place of chaos. And the seas, they always represent sort of tempest and turmoil, and above all, they are to be avoided. And the Sea of Galilee is no different. On one side is, is sort of the, the, the Jewish a culture that was comfortable for the disciples and on the other side of the things that, that they just didn't know and were told to avoid. But it's to those very things that Jesus is telling his disciples, get in the boat, we're going there. That's, that's where we're going to go through. We're going to cross the borderland. We're going to go from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. And how are they going to get there? They're going to go through the chaos. They're going to to travel through a storm. They're going to uh, be filled with terror uh, in the midst of the boat. But what is Jesus going to do? He's going to say, hey, this thing that represents chaos and is the thing to be avoided, what I want you to know is that I actually control the chaos. I'm the one that controls the storm. I control the seas. Matter of fact, I made the sea, and I even made the, the monsters that dwell in the sea, so you don't have to fear anything. But I need for you to learn that as we, as we cross over and as we go through it. I, I don't know what's ahead for you, but what I want you to know is that Jesus is in control of 2018. That, that whatever is facing us and whatever is up ahead for you, that what I want you to know is that Jesus is there and he controls it and he made it and he created it. And that, and that he's there with you in the midst of it. Uh, 2018 uh, almost certainly will have storms. There will almost certainly be uncertainty. There will be fear. And what Jesus is saying to us, just as he said to those in the boat, is uh, uh, don't be afraid. 
I'm with you. I'm here. Have faith. Jesus is uh, asking you to place your faith in him, and he's wanting to remind you that he is with you in the middle of it. Things uh, don't go so well. Um, the, the storm is there. Uh, once they cross the other side, uh, just in uh, verses 28 through 34, uh, Jesus and the disciples, they, they cross the sea. He calms the storm. They get to the other side. And the things that they see when they arrive there, Jesus encounters uh, a, a demon-possessed man. They arrive at this place. There's a man. He shows up. He's demon-possessed. And Jesus heals him. It's sort of this miraculous, really amazing scene. He heals a demon-possessed man, takes the demons, puts them in pigs, who the, and then the pigs run and jump off the cliff and drown. I feel like that's a poor, you know, like I'll ask the Lord about that as a man that loves barbecue. I'm like, dude, were there not other options uh, for this? Like you just, you know, threw them into the sea. It's not even a saltwater sea. You, you know, you didn't brine them. Like you just <laughs> sent, them, sent them there. So a man who has been bound up by a demonic spirit for years, he's now freed. And the people of the community, whose pigs, who were pig farmers, this has come at economic loss for them. And so they come to Jesus and say, listen, we need for you to leave. Like you being here actually costs us something. And we just need for you to leave us. So just to, just to recap, Jesus and his disciples have crossed the, the place that represents chaos. He has calmed the storm, calmed the waves, showed up, performed a miracle, and people are like, not over here, you don't. Because things don't always go the way that we want them to. You, you can uh, go through, you can do all of the right things, you can... Uh, uh, be in the right place. You can um, do all of the things that you think are the right things to do, but it still doesn't mean that you're going to arrive at the right shore or the shore that you intend to arrive at. It doesn't always go the way that you want. You might not always get the welcome or the celebration or the appreciation. And that's how it was with Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? In Matthew 9, verse 1, it says, Jesus stepped into a boat and he crossed back over and went back to his own town. This year, you, 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 might, you might do all of the things that you think are the right things. You may make a bunch of resolutions and accomplish all of them, but still not arrive at the shore that you think you ought arrive at. But what you should know again is that Jesus is with you, that his presence never leaves or departs from you. Um, this isn't the only time, by the way, that Jesus is, is at the Sea of Galilee. There's actually quite a lot that takes place there. Several chapters later, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee with his disciples again. They don't head to the, to the exact same spot as before, but they're on a different part of the bank on the Sea of Galilee. As in Matthew 14. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. I can imagine the disciples are like, ah, the boat again. We're always getting in the boat. Like, do you know what happened last time? Like, all right, he says, get in the boat. So they get in the boat again. And he tells them, all right, look, go on ahead of me and head to the other side. <laughs> I'm sure there's just tremendous questions. Like, how are you going to get there? Like, we're, we've got the boat. Like, whatever. Long way around, Jesus. Good luck. See ya. After he dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night... He was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, and it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I'm sure the disciples are great. Great, another storm. Don't freak out. 
Jesus isn't in the boat with us this time, but, you know, we sort of learned our lesson. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. This is a, a, another, another crossing of the sea, another storm, but... Um, the disciples know, hey, look, we shouldn't be afraid again this time because Jesus is, is with us. Let's not miss the lesson. And Jesus actually says to them the same thing that he said the first time. He says, take courage. It is I. He says, don't be afraid. He reassures them in the midst of the sea. He says, look, take courage. Have, it's another way of saying have faith. It's I. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I am here. It's the same thing that Jesus said the first time they crossed. And again, I, you know, I don't know what's going to be ahead for us as a church or for you as a person or as a family, but again, hear the cadence of Jesus telling you and telling me to take courage. He's with us. He's with us. This time they arrive at the other side. I know I'm moving quickly, but they arrive at the other side, verse 34. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all of the surrounding country. People brought their sick to him, and they begged him to let the sick just touch the hem of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Jesus and the disciples, they're greeted this time. They're greeted and they're received by the people. It's quite a different result when they arrive. And the thing is that a lot has happened from chapter 8 of Matthew to chapter 14, from the first trip across the sea to the second. Uh, they have fed 5,000. They've had failed trips to the gatherings. They have, uh, uh, we encounter false accusations that Jesus has made against him. There's miracles. There are followers that are added to his group. There are followers that are lost to his group. And so in between those six chapters, we have the disciples in a boat crossing from one side to another, believing that God still had something to do in them and through them. And they arrive on the other side, but this time to a very different result. This time they arrive and they're greeted, they're embraced, they're welcomed, because sometimes some prayers take time. And some prayers take a second time. Now, I know some of you, you know, like you've, you're like, I don't want to make New Year's resolutions. Like you've sort of, because, you know, I tried that once and then I forgot it. Like by January 6th, I couldn't remember. Like I was going to read the Bible all the way through. And I got like to Leviticus and I'm like, what the heck? And like you just abandoned the whole thing. And some of you are like, Leviticus, like I never made it to, you know, like Joseph. I, I you know, so you're just like, I'm not making any resolutions. Am I going to make any, any goals, not because, but really because of cynicism or fear. But Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, listen, I know that first trip across the sea, it didn't go quite right, so let's just forget the whole crossing the sea thing. He says, no, we're going to do it again. Because some prayers take time, and some of them actually take a second time. Um, I actually love that we cross from one year to the next in the middle of winter. Uh, to some, I think to some degree, it would have actually made more sense if we like have the new year in the spring when sort of nature is coming alive and there's rebirth and newness. But for some reason, like we just do it in the like in the middle of winter, and it's not even like at a like a point in the winter. Like the solstice was like a few weeks ago. Like there's no sort of demarcation. It's just like, hey, here's a day. Let's do it. New new calendar. And you're like, okay. But I actually love that it's in, that it's in the mental, middle of winter, for, for us in the northern hemisphere. Um, 
the thing that I like about it is that it happens in the cold. And it happens in the midst when, when the nights are long and the days are actually a bit shorter. That, that a newness arrives and it arrives nearly undetected. Because I think in winter there's a clarity that happens in the winter that doesn't actually happen in the other seasons. Um, every year I, I read an a, a essay by Parker Palmer. Um, who's a noted uh, author and activist, and he says this about winter. But for me, winter has an even greater gift to give. It comes when the sky is clear and when the sun is brilliant and the trees are bare. And the first snow is yet to come. It is a gift of utter clarity. In winter, one can walk into woods that had been opaque with summer growth only a few months earlier and see the trees clearly singly and together and see the ground that they are rooted in. You see, the thing about winter is that because everything is bare, we're able to see the things that matter more easily. That things become just more clear in the harshness of winter. And that's why I actually like that we turn the page here. Um, I have a gift for you. Um, Some of you... Um, no, uh, remember this, I've, I've shared this before. One of my favorite flowers is a, the tulip. Um, and so I brought all of you a tulip bulb. Uh, they're in the back someplace. Maybe. Yeah, they're right there. Um, what I love about tulips, I, I mean, they look nice and everything when they grow, that's fine. But what I love about tulips is that you actually plant them in the winter. Um, there's sort of a moxie about tulips. They're like, like you plant them, and I just imagine I'm going to a tulip bulb. I was sharing with the folks earlier. Like tulips are like, I know it's cold, I know everything is dead. Put me in the ground. Don't care. <laughs> just wait and watch. I'm coming. And so, like you put them, like you bury them, like eight, ten inches under the ground, and then you and then you cover them up, and then you just leave them there. And then what you do, if you're really like, if you're into it, you actually put mulch over the top. Do you know what mulch is? It's dead stuff that's decaying. Just imagine a toilet bulb that's like, yeah, that's right. Put it over the top of me. I don't care. And just wait. And then the ground freezes. And it's actually the freezing of the ground that sort of makes the tulip bulb go, oh, oh, you think that's something? And then about springtime, they come up. And you've forgotten about them by then. But they explode onto the scene. The first sign of winter, or the first sign of spring that you buried months ago Because some prayers take time, and some of them take a second time. Now, here's the thing, though. Um, Some of you, if you know anything about tulips, you also know that we're a bit late with them. We actually were supposed to have planted them a few weeks back before the first frost. The other thing um, about tulips, though, is that, um, that they're quite hardy. I was doing some research about it because I was like, ah, man, I'm not sure. Like, I don't want to, this, this, like, illustration could totally fail if I give you all a bunch of tulips and you plant them and, like, you show up for my and you're like, Watson, dude, like, you got nothing. You know, some prayers take time. You got that right. Like, so I wasn't sure about it. So, like, I don't want this to fail. So I just, like, I, like I, you know, did a little bit more research about it. And I went to the, went to the source. I went to the, to the Netherlands Bulb Company. And this is what they said. Like, this was on their site. It was amazing. It was like, you know, what, you know, first frost has already happened. What am I supposed to do, you know? And they're like, here's the deal. No matter what, 
you're better off giving it a fighting chance in the ground than wasting away in the garage or cupboard. You're better off putting that bulb in the ground and letting it waste away in your cupboard. So whatever prayer you're, you are timid about praying, it's better to put it in the ground than let it waste away unsaid. Flower bulbs are survivors by nature's design. Every year, store, I don't know why I'm getting so torn about tulips, goodness gracious. <laughs> Because it's not about tulips, right? Every year, stories abound of bulbs that bloom after being planted under the most improbable of circumstances. Some prayers take time, and some of them take a second time. I suspect that there are prayers that you want to pray this year, but you prayed them last year, and they didn't work out the way that you thought. And so you've arrived at a certain shore that you didn't want to or didn't expect and met a response that hurt you. And so you're afraid to pray, the pr- you're afraid to pray that same prayer again. Let this bulb that you get today be an invitation to pray again to the Lord, letting him remind you that some prayers take time, some take a second time. And hear again his words to you, just as he said to the disciples, take courage, it is I, I'm here. So when you leave here, I know it's cold, get your bulb in the ground. Uh, just, just the last scene, by the way, of Jesus at the Sea of Galilee. It actually comes from John 21. In verse 1, we see Jesus again at this place. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. This scene, this situation of Jesus on the sea, back at the, uh, on the bank of the Sea of Galilee, it's actually after his resurrection. He comes back to the sea following his resurrection. The disciples don't yet know that he's resurrected. And Peter, the one who rejected Jesus and uh, his brothers, they have taken up their old life. They're back on the sea and they're back fishing. The very place where Jesus first called them to follow them, they have abandoned their followership of Jesus and have returned back to their old ways of living. And Jesus doesn't show up on the banks and go, really? You're doing that again? Forget it and walk away. He meets them back at the banks, on the banks of chaos. And he sees them participating in their old ways of living. And he says, come come back over here. I'm here. I'm with you still. And he sits down with them and he eats with them. One of the reasons why the Sea of Galilee is so important to me when I visited there was because it's the place not of chaos, but of restoration. It's the place where Jesus finds us returning back to those old patterns, those ruts that we want to destroy but can't. He meets us there and he says, come back to me. Come back to me. And let's eat together. And let's dwell together. He calls them again to have faith in him. He restores Peter relationally and spiritually and fully. And so Galilee reminds me and us that when I forget, and I will forget, that Jesus calls me to himself, and he dines with me, and he's the one who restores me. And this year, whatever else the year has ahead for us, let this be the year that you sit with Jesus, that you continue to return to him, and that you dine with him, and that you dwell with him,
And you experience the same restoration that Peter experienced. And you experience the same embrace that Peter experienced on the banks of whatever chaos 2018 has ahead for us. Because it's in that place that Jesus would say to us, don't be afraid. Have faith. It's I. I'm here. Let me pray for us. Lord, there there is an invitation. There's an an invitation to us to remember you, to, to, to return to you, to stay with you, to sit with you, to dine with you, to take courage from you, to place our faith and hope and trust in you. God, as we give weight and consideration to that invitation, Lord, I pray that that we would take faithful steps despite where we've been or what we've done or what we haven't done, whatever it is we've neglected or have gotten engaged into, Lord, I pray that we would know that we can come to you. Just as Peter stepped out of the boat and onto the water, just as Peter came out of the water and back onto land, just as Jesus ever, just as Peter ever and always heard Jesus' invitation to come and to follow him, I pray that we would hear it again. And Lord, there may be prayers that um, you uh, want us to continue to pray. There may be prayers that we have prayed and we've forgotten we have prayed, like tulip bulbs that we've buried in the ground and have forgotten that they were there until the first fruits poked through the poke through the grounds and remind us I'm here I'm always here God I pray that you would nurture in us courage and faith because you are with us in Christ's name I pray Amen